Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. listeners, welcome to today's radio program. I'm Carlotte Gonomo and I'm very happy to be back with you to present the New Zealand Greek Metropolis's Christian Orthodox Radio Program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is with the blessing of our Archbishop Gerios Gerios Meron. We hope you'll find today's program both interesting and spiritually enlightening with its mix of readings and explanations from the Holy Gospel, question for the priest, readings from spiritual books, some discussion on the lives of the saints, hymns and notices. Now for a few words of introduction in Greek. Αγαπητοί ακροατές, χαίρετε. Σας ευχαριστούμε που είστε συντονισμένοι μαζί μας για ακόμη μία φορά στην εκπομπή της Ρεάς Μητροπόλεως Νέος Ζηλανδίας στο Wellington's Axis Radio 106,1 FM η οποία γίνεται με την ευλογία του Μητροπολίτου μας κύριος κύριος Μύρονας. Ελπίζουμε να σας έχουμε μαζί μας καθόλη την διάρκεια της εκπομπής μας σήμερα, από την οποία εύχομαι όλοι μας να ωφεληθούμε πνευματικά. Και τώρα ας ξεκινήσουμε το πρόγραμμά μας με την προσευχή Βασιλέ Φουράνιε. Βασιλέ Φουράνιε, παράκλητε το πνεύμα της αληθείας, ο πανταχού παρών και τα πάντα πληρών, ο θησαυρός των αγαθών και ζωής χορηγός, ελθέ και σκήνωσον εν ημίν και καθάρισον ημάς από πάσης κυλίδος και σώσον αγαθέτας ψυχάς ημών. O heavenly King, comforter, the spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from all impurities and save our souls, O gracious one. Let's spend some time now talking about important church events as well as the lives of some of the church's athletes whom we commemorate either today or will do so during the week to come. Today is Forgiveness and Cheese Fair Sunday and we will hear more about this later from Father Pavlos. 
I will speak about a miraculous event in 1898 in which socialist revolutionaries tried to blow up the wonder-working Kursk root icon of the Mother of God, which is commemorated on the 8th, and the 40 holy martyrs of Sevaste, whom we will remember, God willing, on the 9th. As we've said previously, the reason we read and talk about important church events and our saints is so that we learn from them and apply these learnings to our everyday lives, essentially to give us the courage and strength to face all our trials and tribulations with faith, patience and love. Let's start out with the incident in 1898 when socialist revolutionaries tried to blow up the wonder-working Kursk root icon of the Mother of God. On the 8th of March in the year 1898, three young men who were atheist socialist revolutionaries led by the future inventor and scientist Anatoly Georgievich Ufemtsev hoped to shake the people's faith in the Kursk root icon's wonder-working power, so they decided to destroy it. In the Cathedral of the Sign in the city of Kirks, during a vigil in honour of the Honourable Cross, as the cross was being processed around the church, they placed a time bomb next to the icon as an offering. But the bomb did not explode at the intended time during the service. Instead, a devastating explosion at two o'clock in the morning shook the monastery walls while the church was empty. Newspaper reports of the time recorded the horrible devastation. The force of the blast shattered the gilded canopy above the icon. The heavy marble base with several massive steps had been jolted out of position and had split into several pieces. A huge metal candlestick which had stood in front of the icon was blown to the opposite side of the cathedral. A cast iron door near the icon of the Mother of God was torn from its hinges and was thrown outward where it smashed against a wall and made a deep crack. All the windows in the cathedral, including those in the dome overhead, were shattered. Amid the general devastation, the holy icon remained in one piece, and even the glass within the frame was said by some to be intact. So, instead of destroying the Kursk root icon, the anarchists had, on the contrary, become the cause of its greater glorification. Two years later, while in prison for another revolutionary incident, Yufemtsev boasted of his heroism to the prisoners regarding the Kursk root icon incident. One of his cellmates, a pious Orthodox Christian, was outraged when he heard this and informed the prison guards. During an investigation, Yufemtsev admitted that it was he who caused the explosion on behalf of the Socialist Revolutionary Party, but he did not betray his comrades who had committed the act of terrorism with him. It was only in the fall of 1901 that he and the other three culprits were arrested for being involved in the explosion. 
From the testimony of the detainees, it followed that the explosion was carried out at the suggestion of Yufemtsev in order to shake the faith in the Reverend Shrine and draw everyone's attention to this incident. In view, however, of the sincere remorse and the frank testimony given by the terrorists, as well as the minor age of them all at the time of the crime, it was decided not to bring the case to court. On the December the 26th in 1901, Tsar Nicholas II expelled the accused to remote regions of the Russian Empire under police supervision. Yufemtsev was sent for five years to northern Kazakhstan and the other three to eastern Siberia. The disclosure of this crime and the arrest of the organisers and perpetrators of the destruction attempt on the icon helped to stop the spread of rumours spread by unbelieving Kurds that the explosion was staged by the monks themselves to attract pilgrims to the monastery. After serving his sentence, Yufemtsev returned to Kursk and opened a locksmith's workshop. There he became somewhat of a celebrity, as he was openly a revolutionary, and so many people visited to listen to him. After the October Revolution, he immediately joined the Bolsheviks, left for Moscow, and enjoyed the patronage of the prominent revolutionary Maxim Gorky. He went on to become a famous inventor with many patents. In the last century, during the years of persecution against the Orthodox Church, the curse root icon of the Mother of God of the Sign was taken abroad. Archbishop Serafim, in his book of the Yetria of the Russian Diaspora, recalls the following. In 1949, when the, the head of the Synodal Chancellery, Protopresbyter Georgi Grave, was in Frankfurt with the miraculous icon of the Mother of God, an old man approached him and, calling him aside, said, I was an accomplice in the attempted explosion of the icon. I was a boy. I didn't believe in God. So I wanted to check. If God exists, then he will not allow the destruction of such a great shrine. After the explosion, I fervently believed in God and still bitterly repent of my terrible deed. After that confession, the old man bowed before the miraculous icon with tears and left the church. Many testimonies of eyewitnesses of the bombing in 1898 were recorded and exist to this day. Here is the testimony of one witness, a monk of the monastery dated 21 March 1898. The cell in which I slept is located next to the abbot's quarters. We had been sleeping for a long time when suddenly, at about one in the morning, there was a terrible explosion from which the glass on the windows burst and things fell from the tables. Of course, everyone woke up. I jumped out of bed too, but no one saw anything. Everything was calm and immersed in the darkness of the night. Some kind of ominous silence. Throwing a robe over myself, I ran out into the courtyard where the night watchmen were already sounding the alarm. From there I learned that the explosion took place in the temple. They ran for the key, took out the lanterns. 
and we entered the temple, and a terrible picture of destruction presented itself to our eyes. The windows on the north side and massive iron doors were broken open as if armed robbers had burst into them. Later it turned out that these were the consequences of an explosion. When the interior of the temple was properly illuminated, a complete picture of the destruction was presented. The canopy under which the miraculous icon of the Mother of God was placed, the platform in front of the icon, all this turned into a heap of ruins. A gilded cast iron canopy, a massive candlestick for 150 candles, everything flew into pieces. All the brethren hurried to the cathedral. The right reverend Juvenali also arrived. What was our consolation and joy when we saw that not only the shrine, but the icon case itself, which was in the entrance, were unharmed, so unharmed that not a single scratch was anywhere. There were ruins, heaps of debris, a picture of complete destruction, and the holy icon, like a miracle of miracles, is unharmed. With tears of affection, everyone fell on their faces before such an obvious new miracle of our great shrine, and with tender tears they performed the first prayer service after the destruction. And here too is the testimony of another old monk. At the close of the first hour, all the brethren went to bed. During a deep sleep, I heard a terrible hellish rumble from which my bed seemed to sway in the air. At the first moment, my head seemed to be clouded. The awakening was too scary. A second was heard, and then another, and running along the corridor. It was only then that I realised that something terrible had happened. Running out into the corridor, I met the monks and, together with them, hurried to the monastery courtyard. They met the night watchman who indicated that something terrible had happened in the big church. They ran to report to the bishop and the Arhimandriti, but they themselves got up and hurried to the church. As soon as we crossed the church threshold, there was a terrifying thick stench in our face. They brought in the lanterns, began to light the candles, but they were extinguished from the mass of thick and acrid smoke. Then they opened all the doors and made a draft in order to somehow purify the air. When the church was lit up, screams of horror escaped from the chest of everyone present. The magnificent canopy where the miraculous image was located was literally all destroyed. Dozens of precious gold and silver lamps were broken and thrown back with incredible force. The walls of the canopy and its columns were displaced, crushed, damaged and badly thrown far away with incredible force and lay a few fathoms from their place. The mouldings were crumbling and peeling. The entire vast cathedral was covered with mixed debris, scattered everywhere, plaster, pieces of wood, nails, pieces of mouldings, candles, scraps of matter. 
His Grace Yuvanal Ali and his brethren, with difficulty making their way through the pile of rubble with emotional trepidation, removed the icon case that the completely intact miraculous icon of the sign of God, sorry, of the sign of the Mother of God, which only the glass inside was broken. It is difficult to describe that joy and that thanksgiving to God and the Most Holy Theotokos, which engulfed all who were present. When we saw that a new miracle of God's grace was performed over the miraculous icon. As soon as the news of the miraculous event spread, all the inhabitants of the city, from noble and eminent people to the last poor man, hurried to the monastery. At nine o'clock in the morning, the bell rang out and the doors of the temple were thrown open. The crowd of many thousands, like one person, barred their heads and made the sign of the cross. The people rushed to the church where in the presence of the leaders and officials of the city, His Grace Bishop Juvenali of Kursk performed a solemn thanksgiving service before the miraculous icon. The temple could not accommodate all those who came to see with their own eyes the wondrous miracle of God's mercy, and more and more crowds of pilgrims formed around the cathedral. The first prayer after the miracle that had just happened was distinguished by an extraordinary solemnity. It is difficult to describe the minute when, after the end of the Akathist to the Queen of Heaven, His Eminence Juvenali raised the miraculous icon and overshadowed the worshippers on four sides who had fallen on their faces before the deeply revered shrine. These two testimonies clearly show the terrible power of the explosion and the miraculous preservation of the icon, which had only slightly moved from its place. And not only did the icon survive, but not a single soul was hurt or perished. The news of this wondrous sign spread all over Russia and abroad. On the following Sunday, March the 15th, in all Russian churches, thanksgiving services were served to the Mother of God on the occasion of the miraculous salvation of her icon. Pilgrims began to flood to Kursk and over 60,000 of them flocked to take out the icon on the ninth Friday after Easter. There were photographs of the explosion in many houses in Kursk to commemorate the miracle. This miracle is commemorated annually on the 8th of March. Let us pray that the Mother of God is always at our side.
let's now speak about the holy 40 martyrs of Sevaste. In the year 313, St. Constantine the Great issued an edict granting Christians religious freedom and officially recognising Christianity as equal with paganism under the law. But his co-ruler, Lucinius, was a pagan, and he decided to stamp out Christianity in his part of the empire. As Licinius prepared his army to fight Constantine, he decided to remove Christians from his army, fearing mutiny. One of the military commanders of that time in the Armenian city of Savaste was Agricola, a zealous champion of idolatry. Under his command was a company of 40 Cappadocians, brave soldiers, who had distinguished themselves in many battles. When these Christian soldiers refused to offer sacrifice to the pagan gods, Agricola locked them up in prison. The soldiers occupied themselves with prayer and psalmody, and during the night they heard a voice saying, Persevere until the end, then you shall be saved. On the following morning, the soldiers were again taken to Agricola. This time the pagan tried flattery. He began to praise their courage, their youth and strength, and once more he urged them to renounce Christ and thereby win themselves the respect and favour of their emperor. Seven days later, the renowned judge Lucius arrived at Savaste and put the soldiers on trial. The saint steadfastly answered, Take not only our military insignia, but also our lives, since nothing is more precious to us than Christ God. Lysias then ordered his servants to stone the holy martyrs, but the stones missed the saints and rebounded to strike those who had thrown them. One stone thrown by Lysias hit Agricola in the face, smashing his teeth. The torturers realised that the saints were guarded by some invisible power, and so they took them back to prison. Here they spent the night in prayer, and again they heard the voice of the Lord comforting them. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Be brave and fear not, for you shall obtain imperishable crowns. On the following day, the judge repeated the interrogation in front of the torturer, but the soldiers remained unyielding. It was winter and there was a severe frost. They lined up the holy soldiers, threw them into a lake near the city and set a guard to prevent them from coming out of the water. In order to break the will of the martyrs, a warm bathhouse was set up on the shore. During the first hour of the night, When the cold had become unbearable, one of the soldiers made a dash for the bathhouse, but no sooner had he stepped over the threshold than he fell down dead. During the third hour of the night, the Lord sent consolation to the martyrs. Suddenly there was light, the ice melted, and the water in the lake became warm. All the guards were asleep except for Agleos, who was keeping watch. Looking at the lake, he saw that a radiant crown had appeared over the head of each martyr. Aglaos counted 39 crowns and realised that the soldier who fled had lost his crown, and so he woke up the other guards, 
took off his uniform and said to them, I too am a Christian. And he went and joined the martyrs. Standing in the water, he prayed, Lord God, I believe in you, in whom these soldiers believe. Add me to their number and make me worthy to suffer with your servants. Then a fortieth crown appeared over his head. In the morning, the torturers saw with surprise that the martyrs were still alive and their guard was glorifying Christ together with them. They led the soldiers out of the water and broke their legs. During this horrible execution, the mother of the youngest of the soldiers, Meliton, pleaded with her son to persevere until death. They put the bodies of the martyrs on a cart and committed them to fire. Young Meliton was still breathing and they left him on the ground. His mother then picked up her son and, on her own shoulders, she carried him behind the cart. When Meliton drew his last breath, his mother put him on the cart with the bodies of his fellow sufferers. The bodies of the saints were tossed in the fire and their charred bones were thrown into the water so that Christians would not gather them up. Three days later, the martyrs appeared in a dream to St. Peter, Bishop of Sevaste, and commanded him to bury the remains. The bishop, together with several clergy, gathered up the relics of the glorious martyrs by night and buried them with honour. <laughs> If you've just joined us, welcome to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio Program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. I'm Carlotte Economo and I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this and previous programs at your convenience anytime that suits you through the Access Radio website at www.accessradio.org.nz. Click onto the Religion and Spirituality link, then scroll down to the Greek Orthodox Holy Metropolis of New Zealand section. It's now time for question for the priest and Father Meletheos, priest, monk and abbot from the Monastery of the Holy Archangels in Levin, will answer the question, What is Megali Saracosti, or Great Lent, 
given that tomorrow is the start of Great Lent. The great period of Lent before Pascha is called by the Orthodox Church Tesarakosti, or just Sarakosti, which comes from the word 40, the 40 days of fasting. Great Lent is the 40 days fast which the Church observes before the great and holy week of Christ's Passion. It is a time of spiritual cleansing and renewal in preparation for celebrating the most sacred observance of the Christian year, of the Lord's Passion and Resurrection. The celebration of the Resurrection of Christ does not fall on the same date each year, but according to the determination of the position of the moon and spring equinox, which is based on the original setting during the last events of the life of Christ on earth. This 40 days period of Lent is a period of abstinence from foods, but primarily from personal iniquities. Abstinence from foods, fasting alone, is a means of attaining virtue. It is not an end itself. During the period of fasting, one makes a special attempt to evaluate his calling as a Christian, to listen to the voice of the Gospel and heed its commandments, to accept the constant invitation to enter Christ's kingdom. It is an open invitation to everyone willing to enter, who believes in Christ and repents his iniquities. Fasting encompasses the entire pious life of the Christian, as Christ proclaimed, that symbolize a deep acceptance of his warning to repent. This can be achieved not so much in terms of time, but in deeds in love of God and one's fellow man. Repent is the first word Jesus Christ spoke in the beginning of the proclamation of the gospel to the people. Repentance as a turnover of the one's heart is the main motivation of the Christian which acts to free him from sin, one's recognition of his sin, his sorrow over it, and lastly his decision to make an about-face change of his attitude are the steps of repentance. The fundamental practices that set great land apart are fasting, prayer and almsgiving. These are of course part of daily Christian life, things we should be doing all the time. We became lazy and inattentive. However, great land is the time in which we get back to basics, return to our Christian discipline and once more set our lives on the right path. During Great Lent, the Tipikon, which is the Church's rule book for the services and fasting, prescribes that on weekdays we practice xerophagia, dry eating, that is, that we refrain from eating meat, dairy products and food cooked on oil, and that we not drink alcoholic beverages. On weekends we consume oil and may drink wine. On the Feast of the Annunciation and Palm Sunday some, sometimes, the Tipikon states that we may eat fish. Of course, these guidelines must be followed with discernment, according to the age and physical condition of each member of the household, and with the blessing of our spiritual father. But at least we should not eat meat or dairy products for the forty days, except for small children who may need some milk, and the elderly or chronically ill who may need protein-rich food to avoid consequences to their health. During Great Lent, there will be more services at our parish church. We should not only be strict about not missing the Sunday services, but also attend at least one more additional service per week, such as the Heretismi, salutations of the Theotokos on Friday evening, 
or megapodipnon, great compline, and the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts, proyasmeni, served during the week, or the divine liturgy on Saturdays. We should also be faithful to family prayers at home, keeping our oil lamp lit, sensing our whole house daily. Generally, increasing our efforts to be serious about putting prayer at the center of our family life. Almsgiving is the English translation of eleemosyne, a rich word which includes both the meaning of material giving to those in need as well as acts of charity. Lent is a good time to review what our priorities are for spending our money and our time. How much of either is given to God, the Church, and those in need. One excellent practice at home would be to teach our children to set aside some of their own money for the Church or to help others, as well as to take our children to visit the sick or do a good deed for the sake of Christ. During Great Lent we should feel a distinct difference in the atmosphere at home. We bring about this Lenten atmosphere by concrete changes. For example, unplugging the TV set, cutting out loud music in the house, bringing the family together to read holy books and talk about our Christian life, constantly bringing the focus back to where it belongs. This atmospheric change, along with the fasting and church services, make Lent a special time and imprint its feeling, its special joy on the soul of a child. Since we live in a non-Orthodox society, Lent does not just happen. We have to be organized to cook fasting food, get to weekday church services, etc. It is advisable for the family to sit down, to plan their resolutions for Lent, and then have a family meeting with the children to explain which things are going to change, and how everyone can pitch in to make it happen, and that, though it might be a little hard, it will bring grace and joy into the home and into each soul. Great Lent and Holy Week are pre-eminent times to prepare for Holy Communion. Before Lent starts, we should block out appointment time for confessions and weeks for preparing for Communion. In Greece, it is customary for the priest to visit homes during Great Lent to perform the service of Holy Unction, Evhelio. If we make even a moderate effort, then, with the help of God's grace, the Great Lent can truly be springtime for the soul, as we sing at Vespers on the evening of the Forgiveness Sunday. Let us cheerfully begin the season of Lent and undergo the spiritual struggles. Let us purify and cleanse our souls and bodies. As we fast from foods, let us also abstain from giving in it to any of the passions and instead delight in the virtues of the Spirit. May we preserve in them with love and then be counted worthy to see the solemn passion of Christ our God and to celebrate Holy Pascha with spiritual joy. Today's Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 to 21. The Lord said, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward." 
But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father Pavlos will now join us by phone to explain today's gospel to us. Και αυτήν νηστεία το αρχινάμε με, με το όνομα Καθαρή Δευτέρα και Καθαρή Εβδομάδα. Δηλαδή καθαρίζουμε τις ψυχές μας από τις αμαρτίες, από τις κακές σκέψεις, από πολλά φαγητά που μας βαραίνουν και να είμαστε νηστικοί και να ετοιμαζόμαστε σιγά 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 μετά από έξι εβδομάδες για τη Μευγάλη Εβδομάδα και μετά για το Πάσχα. This, uh, dear listeners, is a wonderful day, this Sunday of Tirofago, that is to say, Cheese Fair Sunday, which is the last Sunday of the pre-Lenten period. And tomorrow, as God wills and gives us strength, we enter into the holy and sacred feast, holy and sacred season of Lent, Great Lent, we call it, or the great fast, the 40-day fast, which begins on Monday. We call that Monday Kathara Deftera, meaning, of course, clean Monday, and of course the whole week. We can consider the whole week a clean week, a week where we cleanse ourselves from our evil thoughts and actions, and of course dedicate ourselves to clean living. And this includes a fast, because as you may know, sometimes our food weighs us down and keeps us from focusing on things spiritual. Uh, the simplest way to understand that is when we're satisfied, when we have everything we want, we don't think of God. But when we are a little bit hungry, perhaps a little bit on edge for one reason or another, maybe a little worry, maybe a little concern, then we think, oh God, please help me. Oh God, please come to my assistance. Oh God, be near me. And, of course, God wants us to always be vigilant and thinking of him. So fasting is a good thing. The gospel reading that we just heard, though, followed Saturday's reading, which is Saturday was a wonderful opportunity to hear the gospel, which was where we, where we hear the Lord's Prayer spoken in the context of liturgy, read from the gospel. And so our Lord on Saturday, yesterday, shared with us the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, and he says to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Να συγχωρέσεις δηλαδή τους ανθρώπους που σε κάνουν αμαρτίες όπως ο Θεός σας συγχωρεί. And this is very important. So when we hear today's gospel, he says, εάν γαραφείτε τις 
ανθρώπις τα παραπτώματα αυτών αφήσιμην ο πατήρ ημών ο ουράνιος. If we forgive the sins of those which are done against us, our heavenly Father, our Father which is in the heavens, he will also forgive us our sins. Now some of us might think that's not very fair, that God should just forgive us, not to have to put a condition. But think, it is a condition that is full of love. God is saying to you, look, I want to forgive you all your sins, but let's be fair about it. If I'm going to forgive you your sins, you do the same to your brother. You forgive your brother also. On the other hand, if you don't forgive your brother, how is it that you have the boldness to ask me for forgiveness? Να το σκεφτόμαστε έτσι. Γιατί καμιά φορά λέμε, γιατί ο Θεός έτσι μας μιλάει. Άμα το κάνεις αυτό, τότε θα σε κάνω αυτό. Αυτό δεν είναι καλό. Έτσι λέμε μέσα μας, που είναι διαβολικό. Αλλά πρέπει να λέμε τι. Αυτό να λέμε, ο Θεός μας θέλει να συγχωρέσει όλες τις αμαρτίες μου. Όλες τις αμαρτίες που έχω κάνει. Και μόνο περιμένει από μένα να συγχωρέσει τον αδαφό μου. Είναι μεγάλο πράγμα αυτό. Όχι. Δεν είναι μεγάλο πράγμα. Και είναι δίκαιο. Και άμα εγώ δεν έχω τη δύναμη ούτε να συγχωρέσω τον αδαφό μου, τι θα έρθω θα έχω να μπροστά το Θεό να μιλάω και να ζητήσω από το Θεό να με συγχωρέσει. Δηλαδή ο Θεός είναι δίκαιος. God is completely just. No matter what we may think of him, if he is saying to us, if you forgive the sins of others, I will forgive you. We need to know that that is a just God. We wouldn't really want him any other way. Because if he forgave us without us forgiving, just think if the shoe were on the other foot. In other words, someone did something wrong to you. And you hear that God forgave him, even though he didn't forgive you. You would say, wait a minute, Lord. That fellow never forgave me what I did to him. Are you really sure you want to forgive him his sin? You might be upset. You might even be angry with God. But God is dikios. He's righteous. He's holy. He's good. So he wants us to forgive our brother. And so he, if you can put it in this way, he bribes us a little bit. Like a, child, a parent sometimes coaxes their children with candy. He says, look, I'll forgive you all of this, all the evil things you've done. Because remember, God is forgiving not just the things we think we've done, but every sin, even sins of thought, even sins of disposition, even sins of will. Not just, you know, did we steal something? Did we say a, a false witness? Did we give a, tell a lie to someone? He forgives us every sin, even our thoughts. So we say, well, I never killed anyone. Yes, you never killed anyone. But how many times did you think about hurting someone? and hurting them enough to destroy them, perhaps many times. Or you might say, well, I never committed adultery, but how many times did your thoughts go to that place? Or you might say, I never gave a false witness, but how many times when a false witness was being given did you remain silent and not stand up for your brother or your sister? So we want God to forgive not just the sins that everybody knows about, the ones that are obvious, let's say, but to forgive every sin. And the sins that he asks us to forgive, most of us, we don't know the thoughts of our brother, so the only sins that we want to forgive of that brother are the sins that are kind of obvious. So can you see the comparison? We are asked to forgive a few sins. God forgives all of our sins. So it's a very, very fair deal for us. For God, of course, God being righteous isn't expecting fairness in that way. So we are blessed when God gives us this commandment. 
God loves us very much, dear brothers and sisters, and that's something that Lent is meant to teach us. He says to us, when you fast, don't fast like the other people who want to be seen by everyone that they're fasting, but do it in secret. Here's another blessing of Lent. Of course, we're Orthodox and we're going to fast. And we're going to fast from meat, and we're going to fast from cheese, and we're going to fast from fish. You are somehow on those days a vegan, as they say in today's language. Try to hide your fasting, not to make it a broadcast to say, oh, I'm an Orthodox, I can't eat that. No, we don't want anybody to even know that. Just do it because it's between you and God. And sometimes, out of love for your brother, you will eat something that you shouldn't. Because your brother isn't Orthodox, he doesn't know anything about it, and he offered you hospitality. He says, hey, can I buy you a burger? Now, if it's that kind of thing, you say, well, you know what? How about a fish sandwich instead? Or how about how about a, a vegetarian sandwich? I prefer that. But if he insists, he says, no, 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 no. This is my restaurant. I just made the great steak. I want you to try it. Anyway, go ahead. But then... In secret, you fast even more, even more. So we don't want to be hypocritical about fasting. Christ is very careful to remind us not to be hypocritical. Don't do it just for men so people can pat you on the back and say, oh, what a good faster is he. But do it for God. Do it for your own soul. And as you said at the beginning of the program, you want to remember to fast so that you can feel a little bit of hunger. So when you think about God, you think, oh, something inside you aches a little bit because our soul should be aching for God every day. Sometimes we live such contented lives, we don't even think of that ache that should be natural to us, that we are not one with God. So we fast, and then our stomach aches, or maybe our muscles ache, or some other ache comes upon us. And that tiny physical ache is a way to remind us of our spiritual need to be with God. So, those are the things I wanted to say to you today in, in the message that I'm sharing with you so that you can begin this Lenten fast with joy and gladness. We don't want you to focus on things that are are really not important. Of course we fast, but don't be hypocritical about it. If you happen to eat meat here or there, or a little bit of dairy, don't think, oh, now I can't uh, be a Christian. Just return as quickly as you can to the fast. And, and when you are forced somehow to fast, to break the fast, for the love of a neighbor or friend, then secretly, in secret, fast a little bit more. Maybe go without a meal or in some way to let God know that you really do want to be obedient to this very simple direction. Πάλι σας ευχαριστώ και σας ευχηθώ και να έχετε καλή αρχή της νηστεία. I say not only that you have a blessed beginning to your land. Now, as we have done over most of the last few weeks, we will read a little about St. Nectarios, given that last year was the 100th anniversary of his repose, and our Metropolitan has asked that we try and speak a little about his life as often as we can. 
So let's pick up where we left off from the book Saint Nectarius of Aegina, the saint of our century, by Sotos Hondropoulos. We had just started chapter 9, so I'll continue from that point. Life at the monastery, with its constant prayers, enriched his soul greatly. As each day passed, Nectarios got closer to learning and approaching the greatest secret of life, that of having a humble spirit. A humble spirit is like a panacea that ultimately brings serenity to him who possesses it. It was Jesus who said, Let us forego the boastfulness of the Pharisees and learn humility from the publican's size. Indeed, what does boastfulness bring in this vain world? It brings nothing but friction, bitterness, jealousy and the need for repentance. This is obviously another easy trick by which the evil one can tempt to his side unaware souls. On the other hand, humility opens the gates of the road which leads to eternity. It may not be easy to achieve compassion and love for others, but once done the reward is great, not only because of the serenity felt here on earth, but because of the chance to be in heaven. How wise our Lord Jesus Christ was in his advice. Exactly one year after taking his vows and joining the brotherhood, Metropolitan Gregorios ordained Nectarios a deacon. It was then that he was given the name we know him by, which was in honour of a venerable patriarch of Constantinople. He was ordained in the church of St. Mena, the illuminous martyr and fighter, and patron saint for those in need of protection and assistance. When celebrating his first divine liturgy, Nectarios was thrilled that his lips were now allowed to chant, Let us who have received the divine, holy, pure, immortal, heavenly, life-giving and awesome mysteries of Christ worthily give thanks unto the Lord. His voice cracked, his throat felt a lump in it, and in fact, so great was his emotion that he almost fainted. O Lord, great benefactor, how I love you, he whispered to himself as his tears began to flow. When he thought that from now on he would be standing inside the sanctuary participating in the representation of the Holy Lamb's sacrifice, receiving Holy Communion and consuming the gifts, the immaculate body and blood of the Lord Jesus, he was indeed overcome by awe and fear. That same day, after all the excitement of performing his first divine liturgy and accepting all the good wishes from his family and friends, Nectarios felt the need to get away for a while to gather his thoughts. After receiving permission from the abbot to take a walk, he set out. The island of Hios offers nature's beauty everywhere, whether it be on the shore of a beach or in the forest of the mountains. Nectarios preferred the inland for his walk, and before he knew it, he had walked quite a way up the mountains. He had set out after the evening Vespers service, and the sun was now starting to set. Slowly the day's light decreased, and the peace and quiet it offered overcame him with emotion. It was at the time that night covers both land and sea, for as far as one can see on the horizon, that Nectarios, loving nature as he did, became especially touched. 
As far as he could see, everything looked peaceful, and that brought tears to Nectarios's eyes. For Nectarios's admiration of nature and thoughts of God, the Creator, went hand in hand. In a little while, Lord, the sun will shine again. He prayed, thank you, thank you, from the bottom of my, of my heart, I thank you. Please don't ever forsake your servant, even for a brief moment. Without you, my Lord, my life is nothing. Please let my cassock be full of compassion and like the love of a mother's comforting embrace. Suddenly, someone high up on the bridge yelled out something in English, and this broke Nectarios's concentration on the past. He took a walk on the almost deserted deck on the, on, of the boat and wished that he was travelling under different circumstances. He must have walked back and forth three to four times to stretch himself after having sat in one place for such a long time. Then he took a piece of candy out of his pocket and put it in his mouth to relieve the dryness and then sat down again. As he looked out at the beautiful sea with its hues of emerald, aquamarine and white, he thought that perhaps a cup of coffee might be comforting to drink. However, the laughter and voices emanating from the people being entertained by the juggler in the dining room changed his mind. He would not be able to tolerate such loud noise in his pensive mood. One often remembers how sweet the past seems when facing present hardships. How Nectarios wished that all which had just occurred could disappear as if it were a bad dream. How he wished that if he fell asleep to the ship's gentle rocking, things would be different when he woke up. But he knew that it was not so, and somehow that is why the recollections of his youth stood foremost in his mind. Ah, he sighed as he once again thought of the beautiful island of Hios, where the lighthouse of orthodoxy does not stop shining for a moment. Chapter 10 After a few days, a few days after celebrating his first divine liturgy, Metropolitan Gregorios called Nectarios to his office after the day's Vespers service. The Metropolitan was a good-hearted old man and an ascetic person. With him in his office was a well-groomed middle-aged man wearing an immaculately tailored suit with a gold chain across his velvet vest. He had curly hair, a beard and a most welcoming, friendly smile. Nectarios, I would like you to meet Mr. John Horimis, a notable citizen and a great donor and friend of our church. Naturally, Nectarios had heard of him and had seen him at the holiday liturgies. He bowed to the visitor. Come close, Nectarios, the Metropolitan beckoned. He wishes to meet you. He would like to find out about your life firsthand. I believe that you can entrust him with all that concerns you. You will not be harmed, I am sure. Nectarios felt a bit tense and slightly flushed. He took a seat beside the noble man. In his slow, melodic voice, the visitor started asking Nectarios various questions, such as where his fatherland was, how he got started serving the church, and how he came to be on their island. I hear that you are distinguished in asceticism, prayer and theological studies, Mr. Choremis remarked. Thank you, Nectarios replied humbly, blushing a bit more. 
With a deep breath, he started recalling his past to the visitor, including the blessing his mother gave him when he just set out, the bundle with the worldly goods that he carried, his his lack of money to buy a ticket on the boat, and the incident on the pier at Silivria. The good Lord made it so, Mr. Horemis, that the ship's engine could not start and therefore the ship could not sail. Finally, the ship's captain took pity on me and allowed me to board. However, I later found myself in another difficult situation when the time came for the passengers' tickets to be collected. The captain had withdrawn to his quarters and the ticket taker had no knowledge of the previous incident which allowed me to board the ship. He insisted on receiving payment from him. I told him, but I am poor, have pity on me. However, the Lord did not forsake me and he sent over a gentleman who had heard my pleas to help me. He stopped his story when he saw Mr. Horemi's eyes tearing. Wondering what the matter was, Metropolitan Gregorios quickly stood up to go over to the man to help him. My child, Mr. Horemis cried out, my child, it has been so long and we have finally found you. What a coincidence, is it truly you, that young boy who was leaving Silivria all alone to find work and to study? You see, he explained after seeing Nectarios a bit puzzled, the young man who helped you then is my nephew. He told me the whole story because he was so moved and since since then we have been looking for you. Thank the Lord I found you and now that I have I want you to make haste and ask for permission and the blessing of his eminence to leave for Athens to complete your high school education. Whatever you require just let me know and I shall provide you with it. Words were not great enough for Nectarios to express to the Lord his heartfelt gratitude. That's all that we've got time to read today, but God willing, we'll continue reading from this book again next week. As we're nearing the end of our time together, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 and hope you'll join us again next Sunday. I'd like to thank all our fathers for the inspiration and help we get from them and a special thanks today to Father's Pavlos and Meletios. We look forward to seeing you soon and may our beloved Christos and Panagia bless and protect us all. We'd like to wish all our listeners a blessed Lent with much repentance and enlightenment. Hierate. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.